At this time, uh, please stand with me. We're going to do our reading. This morning's reading is from the book of Daniel, chapter 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. This is God's word. You may be seated. God, as we come to a new book and think about your servant Daniel this morning, I pray that our hearts would be open to you, God. I pray that you would speak in and through Pastor Kyle this morning. God, I pray that uh, we'd go out different than we came in. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to be back with you. I'm so um, happy to be gathered with our church here on, on this beautiful Sunday morning. It is Reformation Day for those of you who are more familiar with Halloween. Um, the church is more familiar with this being Reformation Day. And Reformation Day is the day that Martin Luther um, nailed his 95 Thesis to the door um, of uh, Wittenberg, Germany to challenge um, and debate some of the what he thought to be dangerous theology of the Roman Catholic Church, and this was over 500 years ago now. So um, it's a day that the church remembers the the important tenets of the Christian faith, because what he was arguing for in that moment wasn't so much about um, scrupulous theological differences that he had with the Roman Catholic Church, but it was really about the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation by grace through faith, that you don't buy your salvation by giving money or buying things like indulgences. Um, And he challenged even the authority of the Pope by suggesting that the Bible is our ultimate authority and not the Pope. Um, So there were a number of things that that he challenged in that moment. I don't think if you study history, he ever intended to split or divide the church. His intent was to reform it, but um, alas, it didn't work. So therefore we have churches like this. that call themselves Baptists or Presbyterian or non-denominational or Pentecostal, um, those would all fall under what would be called Protestant churches in our Western culture. So um, we have Martin Luther to thank for that. If you didn't know anything about that, I would just invite you to Google the Protestant Reformation and learn a little bit about it. It's really fascinating. But our service has nothing to do with that this morning. Um, And we are in Daniel chapter 1. My wife and I had a wonderful time visiting friends in Kentucky, and I I was able to preach there on Sunday and just express your thankfulness and mine to them for their support over the years, and we just had a lot of fun and a lot of food, so I might be a little (laughs) heavier than I was before I left. (laughs) But last week, Pastor Mark um, concluded what was our short, shorter, I would say, mini-series on the cost of discipleship, and we were just sort of all over the Bible and different parts of the Gospels and the Old Testament to talk about what it means and looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And in the process of teaching um, what I, I believe is just a critically important topic, I thought I couldn't help but my mind just kept going 
to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, the bravery and faith and courage that they demonstrated and their devotion to following the Lord in spite of hostile environments and harrowing problems. Um, so my mind just kept get, gravitating towards them, so I thought it would be a good idea to go to um, the Old Testament book of Daniel um, and teach through that. Now, I know, and just even considering that idea, I was like, well, it's kind of a long book, and it's also not very easy to teach. <laughs> if anyone has ever read the book of Daniel, it reads much like the book of Revelation. Um, there are a lot of visions and dreams and beasts and statues, and what does all this mean? And um, it has really turned around a lot smarter men than I and Bible scholars than, than I. So a lot, of, a lot of times, pastors, when they approach Daniel, they, they skip the visions and just talk about the, 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 the heroism and faith of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they just sort of leave it at that. But I'm going to jump in, and um, we'll see what happens. And we're going to try to get through the whole thing and not avoid things that are confusing or difficult to understand. Um, we're going to try to understand the whole thing because I think it's critically important to our faith um, to understand what the Bible teaches us about why we're here and how everything ends. Because that really is essentially what the book of Daniel is about. It's about the purpose of our lives, God's purpose of creation, and where he's leading us all. Um, so we, we might call this in theology an eschatological vision. That is a vision of future things, things to come. Um, what does God say about the end of the world, about um, our Savior, Jesus Christ, about the nations and kingdoms? Um, it is a very fascinating and interesting book, and I hope that you can follow along with us as we aim to teach through it. So I approach it soberly, but with a sense of urgency, um, because the book of Daniel really is not about Daniel at all. Uh, it really should be called the book of God <laughs> because it really is about God's power, God's purpose, what he intends to do through us as people. It's about um, his purpose in human history, his purpose for the world, his person, purpose for humanity. Um, frequently there is this axiom, this principle that is repeated throughout the book of Daniel. We can see it in Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. The most high rules the kingdom of men his kingdom is everlasting. And you know who said this, by the way? This was King Nebuchadnezzar after he came out of this sort of stupor that he went to, thinking he was an animal and eating grass. Because he was proud one day and he said, look at my kingdom. Look at what I have built. Look how wonderful I am. And then God, and God said to, to Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel, oh yeah? Because you, the only reason that you are king is because I've set you up as king. And by the way, your kingdom will fall and mine will reign forever and ever. And when he comes out of this, this, this insane sort of, sort of stupor, that he, he gets saved basically. He converts. And this is his prayer in 4.17. The Most High rules the kingdom of men. His kingdom is everlasting. And the underlining what is the heart of the book of Daniel is this rock-solid conviction that the Lord is the Lord of heaven, and he is the God in whose hand is your breath. So if you think you're something, because how much money you got, or how many beautiful girls you've dated, just remember that the breath that's in your lungs wouldn't even be there if it were not for the Lord sustaining that very breath. So life should be governed by the hope and knowledge 
that the anointed one, the son of man, which is at the heart of the message of Daniel, the son of man who approaches the ancient of days, which is God the Father, is promised the Messiah to come and set up his eternal kingdom. And we can see that in chapter 9, verse 25. The prince of heaven is coming soon, and he's bringing God's kingdom with him. Isn't that amazing? So this series is entitled, The Prince of Heaven. And this morning, our sermon is simply going to serve as a sort of introduction um, to, to the book of Daniel as a whole. We're not really um, examining any one particular part of it this morning. I just wanted to introduce its book, its structure, and its themes. So as we begin, let's first talk about the times of Daniel. Um, when did he live and what was going on at the time? Um, some of you might know that the book of Daniel tells the story of four young Israelite men taken from Jerusalem, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You ever hear this before? I'm sure some of you have, and maybe for some this is new. Um, prior to 612 BC, the Assyrian Empire was the dominant superpower in the Middle East or the Fertile Crescent and the world. We, we could consider them like the Roman Empire or the Greek Empire. They were basically ruling the world. That, that is a picture of the, the vastness and extent of the Babylonian Empire, which we'll get to, in a, to get to in a second. But prior to 612 BC, it wasn't the Babylonians, but the Assyrians that were the dominant superpower in the world. In 612 BC, the capital of Assyria, which is Nineveh, by the way, was sacked by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, and Assyria was displaced as the superpower by the Babylonians. Now, after defeating the allied armies of Egypt, because they didn't just stop with Assyria, the Babylonians went down to Egypt, and you can see that, them right there in um, the picture there. You see near the Red Sea to the left, that's Egypt. So they went down there, and they, they defeated a guy named Pharaoh Necho. And Pharaoh Necho was ruling Egypt, and Bab um, Nebuchadnezzar conquered Egypt as well. When he was through with them at the Battle of Carchemish in 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar then sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and 586 BC took its people and, and, and the, all the gold and precious items from the temple out of, out of Jerusalem back to Babylon. So this is a huge shift in the life of Israel. Israel had once dominated the Fertile Crescent in its scope and power, and many considered Israel to be the superpower under the reign of King David and King Solomon. And now all of a sudden, they're being displaced by this foreign power. Now this has a historical setting and a biblical significance. This is not just history, friends, because as, as you've heard, you've probably heard this before, history is really his story. God is behind all this. None of this is an accident. All of this is happening is because God has decreed it and purposed it to happen. Now, the biblical setting of this, the, the biblical significance of this is really prophetic. God had warned his people in the book of Deuteronomy that if Israel had turned away from, would turn away from Yahweh and serve other foreign gods or idols, that they would fall under God's curse. Now, you all know that the law of Moses, you know, the, the Ten Commandments was given to Moses, what we call the law. The law is much bigger than just the Ten Commandments. It's really outlined in five books of the Bible of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is, is an interesting word. It means second law. Namas in Greek is law, and deuteros is second. Deuteronomy is sort of like an expansion 
um, a commentary on the law, if that makes sense, that was given to Moses. A lot of the book of Deuteronomy at the end defines in vivid detail what are the curses of breaking the law. If Israel, God's people, would hear God's word and decide to break his word and break his law, the Bible says here's what, would ha what will happen. And we read in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven. And you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on earth. Friends, Daniel is the fulfillment of that promise to curse Israel should they break the law. And that is why Daniel and his four Hebrew friends were found in slavery under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Repeatedly, the prophets, especially the prophet Jeremiah, warned Israel of God's imminent judgment. You see... God told Moses, here's what would happen. Now, hundreds of years later, Jeremiah the prophet shows up, and he's warning Israel and saying, listen, do you remember what God said in Deuteronomy 28? It's about to happen. Get ready, because you have forgotten the Lord your God. And we read in Jeremiah chapter 33 the fulfillment of what God had promised to curse with. It says this in verse 4 of Jeremiah 33. For this is what the God of Israel says about the houses in this city. He's talking about Jerusalem and the nation of Israel and the royal palaces of Judah that have been torn down in the fight with the Babylonians. They will be filled... Oh, now this is pretty. You ready for this? They will be filled with the dead bodies of the people that I will slay in my anger and wrath. God's not playing, right? Because he's holy, he's righteous. And he made us to be, he created us to be in his, in his image. How dare we think that we can do anything but what he said? I will hide my face from this city because of its weakness. Nevertheless, oh, because now here's a little hinge verse. Because the Bible also promised in the law that even if you break the curse, even if you break, this, break the law and this curse falls on you, I will save you. That's the covenant that God made with Abraham, that if you, if you break the law, I will save you from the curse of the law. Now, verse 6 says this, Nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity, and I will rebuild them as they were before. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout out from David's line. Now, here's the rub, and this is why this is so important. This isn't just about God saving a nation. This is about God saving the world, right? In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. Who is he talking about? The Bible promises over and over again, it began in, in the Garden of Eden, it continued through Abraham, that a seed would come from Eve, that, that there would be a Messiah, a Savior, that would save the world, not just Israel, save the world from their sins. So now Jeremiah is saying, though you're going off into captivity, I'm preserving you, because Messiah is still coming through you, and he's still going to save. You see? 
So in those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those, in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name in which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Paul tells us in Romans that, that one day it says all Israel will be saved. In other words, what he means there is not the nation of Israel, but one day all who have put faith in the Lord for their salvation through Christ will be saved. Right? In the book of Daniel, we can observe the consequence, the awful consequence of disregarding the word of God. It is a sort of slavery, an exile. Yet we also see God's faithfulness to his word, preserving his people and these four Hebrew boys so that one day a promised branch, Jesus, will come and save the world. Isn't that good news? What a wonderful book that we're about to start studying. So we see in Daniel, the first thing I want to observe is the fact of God's sovereignty. These are sort of like the main overarching themes and applications of what we see happening in the book of Daniel. The texts that we read in scripture are basically these texts. What we, what we see happening is not an arbitrary function of chance or human history just sort of unfolding. It's not determined based on the will of man, but God's. It says, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim to Nebuchadnezzar. He was the king of Israel. The Lord is the one that made Nebuchadnezzar go to Israel and Jerusalem, sack it, and take king, king Jehoiakim back to Babylon. It wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's choice. It was God's. You see? And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim. God is the one that made the guard look favorably on Daniel. And we'll get to this more next week. Daniel was a captive um, exile, a prisoner, if you will. But God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. So the compassion of the guard's heart was not from himself. It was from God who gave him that compassion, who caused him to have that compassion. God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Israel. See, there is a fact of God's sovereignty in all events of human history. God is in control, he is in charge, and he is moving human history to his purpose, not ours. It might not seem like that. We might think that we're in control. We might think that we're the ones that have the power, but essentially we don't. God is moving it all to his purpose and end. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams. Where did their knowledge and understanding come from? From the Lord. You say, well, no, it comes from me. I studied hard. I was in the Babylonian library. And I worked really, really hard to get my, my understanding and my knowledge. But scripture says, no, that knowledge and that understanding comes from God. So those big, hairy, muscly arms that you have that built so many different things, that gave you all the money and boats that you own, you didn't do that. God did that. God gave you those big, hairy, muscly arms. He gave you the brain in your head. The breath in your lungs comes from him right? So we all, we owe everything to the Lord, everything that we are, everything that we have. None of the events of our lives are an accident or the product, simply the product of man's will. God is like a computer program running in the background, causing it all to happen. But what is God's purpose? How can we define it? We might ask here, well, why? Why is he moving the king to do this and giving Daniel wisdom and all of this stuff? What's God up to? What's his purpose? The message of Daniel is meant to reveal 
the purpose of our lives, of this world of kingdoms that come and rise and fall. It's meant to reveal the purpose of all creation and what God is up to, where he's bringing it all. And the very structure of Daniel hits, hints at this purpose. Now, if you're a little bit of a nerd like me, you might enjoy this. If not, you're going to fall asleep for the next five minutes. Okay? The heart of the book of Daniel is found in chapters 2 through 7. And in chapters 2 through 7, you have what, um, what Bible students and students of lit literature have observed, a very clear chiasm. A chiasm is a sort of literary structure that helps to sort of create a sense of beauty, flow, and even meaning to poetry or literature. For example, Old King Cole was a merry old soul. A merry old soul was he. <laughs> right? You guys know this? This is a very simple chiasm. Um, you see how the, sort of the structure and flow of this little, this little ditty goes. Old King Cole um, was a merry old soul, a merry old soul was he. So, old King, so the A's match. Does that make sense? Um, and the B's match. Usually at a, in a structure like this, um, the B's are sort of providing for us what is the real heart of the, the meaning. What is it really trying to say? That the dude was merry. Right? That's the point. King Cole's a merry guy. Right? Like, so, and we get that because of that B structure in the center. Now, if we turn to Daniel chapter 2, um, chapters 2 through, through 7, we can see a similar thing. And we'll see this um, on the screen as well. In Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, um, we have what we see up there um, is in chapter 2, there are four world kingdoms really versus the kingdom of God. If you remember, in Daniel chapter 2, um, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of a really big statue. And the statue is made of different materials. The head is gold, and then it goes from like silver into bronze and to, to clay. And then at the end of his dream, a big giant stone comes out of the sky, smashes, at his, smashes its feet, and the whole thing comes tumbling down. Right? So chapter 2, we have this vision of world kingdoms versus the kingdom of God. Chapter 3, God delivers... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. Remember this? That's in chapter 3. Now chapters 4 and 5 deal with um, both King Nebuchadnezzar and King Darius getting judged by God for their arrogance. You remember in chapter 4, God makes, um, makes King Nebuchadnezzar into sort, a sort of animal where he, he doesn't cut his hair or his fingernails. He begins to live outside and eat grass. It's, this is literally what happens to him. And then chapter 5, King Darius also is, a, is um, actually, no, it's King Belshazzar, sorry. King Belshazzar in chapter 5 is equally as arrogant, except God takes his life in a judgment. You see? Then in chapter 6, what happens? God delivers his people again. Chapter 6 is Daniel in the lion's den. And then in chapter 7, we have another vision of four world kingdoms versus the kingdom of God. So you see, like, the beauty and the symmetry of the structure. There's a reason that it's arranged like this. There's a point to it. And the point is this. The point is the sea, the seas in the middle. The point is, when God reveals himself to Darius, excuse me, Belshazzar, and he reveals himself to King Nebuchadnezzar, they think there's something else. They think that they own the world. God comes in, he humbles themselves, and the lesson is this. The Most High rules the kingdom of men. His kingdom is everlasting. So here's, here's the point of human history, because this is what Daniel is about. This is the point of human history, the everlasting kingdom of God. All of creation is leading to the everlasting kingdom of God. 
You were created for that purpose. I was created for that purpose. God didn't simply create me so that I can have some sexual romp with beautiful girls. He didn't create me simply so that I can eat food and enjoy blueberry pie. Right? He didn't create me simply that, so that I could retire one day and just kind of live out that life on a boat somewhere. God created us for the purpose of enjoying him forever in his kingdom. This world is his, he is king of it, and if there are any other kings, they are temporary and they are there at his disposal. You see, friends, this is the heart of the book of Daniel. This is the meaning of creation and it is the purpose of your life. So God bids you, if you want to be part of that kingdom, what, is, what do we see there in chapters 3 and 6? You need to be delivered by the Lord from the world. You need to come to him in faith so that that which is corrupt, that what is breaking in this world, what is being destroyed by that rock from heaven, won't destroy you too. So that you, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, will be delivered into his eternal kingdom. You see, that's the message, that's the flow of this. It's not simply just about, wow, isn't Daniel great and what great faith did he had? We're going to talk about that because it's certainly a part of the story. But it's bigger than that. God is going to save his people and bring in his eternal kingdom. And all of the mess and all of the corruption and brokenness in life is one day, poof, going to be gone because Jesus reigns. Isn't that good news? Repeatedly, the kings of these kingdoms, such as Darius and Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar, are told that God is the one that gave them their kingdoms, the one that holds their breath in his hand. Do you remember who else said that? Remember Jesus, when he's about to be crucified on a cross, he reminds Pilate that any power that he has was only given to him by the Lord. See? God wins. And it doesn't matter if you think he's losing because of what's happening in your life. He wins. It doesn't matter that, that Jesus died on the cross. All the apostles thought, oh, maybe God's losing. He's not losing. This is his plan, to take on sin, rise from the dead, come back a second time and take the earth back that was always his to begin with. You see, friends, he wins. He wins even in the difficult times of our lives, even in the, 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 the portions of our lives that we think we're losing, he is actually winning because his, his will always prevails. God's purpose, according to Daniel, is to bring to an end the fallen rulership of this world and to set up an eternal kingdom ruled by the coming prince, Jesus the Messiah. That's the point. Isn't that great news? So that means, like, listen, politics should matter to us. We should be involved. Uh, so don't get me wrong with what I'm about to say. But at the end of the day, it just doesn't matter who the next president is. Because Jesus is coming back, it's his world and his kingdom, and he's going to rule it forever. He's the one that's going to bring it in, not a Republican or a Democrat, or someone in between, that, some imaginary party that we haven't even thought of yet, right? So we need to do some, a little bit of application work here, even though I th we've already started that a little bit. <laughs> the message of Daniel is that God is at work and behind the details of our lives, you see, friends, Daniel was in, we're going to see Daniel get into some trouble and his, and his Hebrew friends, threatened with a fiery furnace and lions and all these different things. And we think, oh, why, why are these things happening to me? What's going on? You see, do you remember what the, the three Hebrew boys actually said? He said, our God is able to deliver us and will deliver us from this fire, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow to you as a false 
you're a false god. We're not bowing down to you. Even if he does, in other words, even if we die and get licked up by the fires of this furnace, God still wins. Even if you lose everything, even if the divorce happens, even if you don't get the job back, he still wins. And his plan is better than the one that you thought you needed to happen in your life. It's better. It's coming. It's in the king's hand as we speak. And he's bringing it to us. There can be a, there can be a blessing for my life lived in faithfulness to God and trust in his providence and promise. A blessing even in the face of impossibly hostile conditions like these folks went through that we're going to see in the coming weeks. Because the Lion of Judah is coming, we don't need to be afraid of the lions of life. Right? Psalm 137 asks this very relevant question. This is actually about the exile that Israel was going through. They're asking this question about this exile. It says, how can we sing the song of the Lord while in a foreign land? How can we sing when we're not home? Right? Israel was displaced. They were in Babylon. How can we sing when we're not in Jerusalem? You know, the question has to be asked about God's people, his church. How can we sing when we know ultimately this is not his, his perfect kingdom come yet? There's an aspect of God's kingdom realized in our lives, but we know that it has not fully come yet because Jesus has not returned. So how can we sing, friends? How can we sing in a foreign land? And the book of Daniel answers that question. How can you sing the song of the Lord in this foreign land, in the face of cancer, in the face of divorce, and all the darkness that we so often face? How can you sing? Because all that's foreign. That's not part of eternal life. That's not part of God's kingdom. We're in a foreign land that's broken by sin. So Daniel reminds us that living in a world fallen in sin means that believers we are displaced. As God's people, we are strangers in this world. 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 17. We battle constantly spiritual enemies in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And Philippians chapter 3 says that we are sojourners in a foreign land. We're not home. We're not home. So how do we sing? Daniel answers that question. It is possible to have joy and to bring praise to God and be agents of transformation even to the darkness around us. And we see this in the person of King Nebuchadnezzar. King ne think about this. King think about who King Nebuchadnezzar is. We're going to see this in coming weeks. But King, King Nebuchadnezzar went into Jerusalem, killed a whole lot of people, burned the temple to the ground, and then took men, women, and children as slaves back to Babylon, along with all the precious items out of the temple. And God saves him. He's going to be in God forgives his sin. The man says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes to heaven, and I praised the Most High God. His dominion is an eternal dominion, and his kingdom endure, endures from generation to generation. Oh, what an unlikely person that we'll see when we approach the throne of Jesus Christ, the enemy of the Jews, forgiven of his sin, the enemy of God's people, forgiven of his sin. But isn't that such a common theme all throughout the Bible? 
Do you remember what Saul was doing, killing and persecuting Christians constantly until he got a vision from heaven and God saved him? God saves all the people we don't want him to. Isn't that true? He saves such filthy sinners. And friends, we could, part of, I think of my struggle at times is I forget that I'm just as filthy. I'm just as sinful. Oh, what an amazing God that we, we, we serve and that we praise. We are in a foreign land, but our life is nourished by our good God, preserved, protected, carried through to the end. I want to close with just a few more points, and then we'll be dismissed. I think that when we understand the overall purpose of God in human history, that we, when we understand his sovereignty, his rulership, and directing all of human affairs, it gives us the capacity to live the life of faith, to be strong disciples of Jesus Christ. And we can learn some things, I think, and we're going to learn these things as we go throughout the book of Daniel, but there are some principles of application that I think that will, that will hopefully just sort of get burned into our soul. The life of faith, number one, is nourished on the knowledge of God. Knowing who he is and what he's up to and what he wants makes us strong. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, with flattery he will corrupt those who have violated his covenant, that's his word, but the people who know their God will firmly resist. They'll be strong. They'll stay. Another thing that we can learn from Daniel, another application, is that the life of faith is nourished by consecration to him and fellowship with him in prayer. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He was in a foreign land with all these different gods and all this, all this stuff that he was forbidden to do and touch and see. And it would have been so easy for him to compromise his faith, but he refused to. Daniel was consecrated to the Lord his God in that foreign land, as we should be as well. In Daniel chapter 6, when faced with great danger, it says three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed. The people that pray refuse to defile themselves with this world, and people... <clears throat> that are nourished by the, no the knowledge of God will live a life of faith. The life of faith draws its confidence in the overall purpose and sovereignty that is his rulership of God in the details of life. In other words, what I'm saying is that God is behind the events of our lives. And when we have trust in what he's up to, even if we don't understand it fully, it will give us the strength that we need to live the life of faith. Chapter, Daniel chapter 4 says this, All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? You see, friends, none of us can ever accuse God of wrongdoing. He always does what's right. He always gets his way, and his will always prevails. And when we understand this, as we, 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 we evaluate sort of the events of our lives and sometimes the things that we don't like about our lives, we can trust that God is moving us to a better end. Amen? The life of, de, de, of faith depends on our confidence that he is building another kingdom that's better than my mini one that I love so much. 
You see, friends, we're all building a little kingdom for ourselves. We might be kind of a small king in this great, vast, big world, but we're all building a little kingdom. It might just be of your little cape, your three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath cape, and you're the king of that castle, right? We all have little kingdoms, little things that we rule over. We rule over our lives, and we say, again, as I said in the beginning, uh, you know, my will for my life, my purpose for my life is to accomplish this or that, to attain this or that. And then when we start losing things or things don't work out, well, oftentimes we get, we get bitter at God and ask, why has he allowed this to happen to me? When it wasn't even his will to begin with, it was yours. But there is a better kingdom that if we can just simply submit ourselves to it and surrender to it, we will realize that his purpose is better than our own. You see, the life of faith depends on our confidence that he is building another better kingdom than the one that we've planned. And the life of faith trusts that our times are in his hands, as the psalmist says. Events of heaven are connected to events on earth. I didn't put the whole passage because it's quite long in Daniel chapter 10, but Daniel's basically having a conversation with an angel. And he's saying, the angel's saying, sorry I didn't show up sooner, Daniel. I was fighting this other angel over in this part of the world, but now I'm here. And let me explain to you why all this is happening to you. So in other words, heaven and earth are joining hands, and we don't see it. But we need to trust it. All of the joys and even sorrows of life have something behind them that is eternal, that is heavenly. Our times are somehow connected to heaven. They are connected to God's agenda. Our trials and our victories are meant to lead to understand a time that is still yet to come that is so much better than this one. And the life of faith comes when we know that God is not silent about what his purpose is, we can learn about it in his word. And that's what we're about to do for the next 900 weeks or however long it will take to get through this very long book. I'm, trying to, I'm going to try to get through it quicker than that. The great vision of Daniel is simply this. The kingdoms of this world will end. The kingdom of heaven will conquer and never end. And the prince of heaven, the son of man, is the champion of that kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord, this morning for your um, kindness, your, your loving kindness, grace, and favor to us. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus the King is coming, that he's told us how he's coming. He's told us all these details about what's going to happen um, to build our confidence and trust in him and to reorient the, our will for our lives to his will. Thank you, Lord, that we're a part of it by faith and that you're delivering us from the lion's dens and fiery furnaces of our life, not just to give us money or pleasure, but to, to, but to see us through to your kingdom's end. In Jesus' name, amen.